We are through week 15 in the NFL season, and Inside the Pylon, the podcast is here to break down all of last week's action as well as get you caught up for the week ahead with week 16 coming up in just a couple days now. Chuck Zada and Mark Schofield in studio here. And Mark, how are you? Good weekend? Good weekend, my friend. How about you? Holiday coming up? Outstanding weekend. I can tell you it's it's been a busy couple weeks here, not just because of football, also all of the holiday preparations. And, uh, you know, it's been been a busy time of year. But it's do you remember those uh, commercials that ESPN used to have back when they first got a lot of the bowl coverage going where they would, you know, they'd sing, you know, it's the most wonderful time of I the year. I they do. I do. They did that whole thing. And it really is just a great time because it's, it's football, it's food, it's family. It's the, the three F's, I guess, is what I'm going to call it from now on. But it's 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 really outstanding. I love it. I love, I love it. it too. I mean, I mean, if you think about it, it starts with Thanksgiving and you know, you know, turkey on Thanksgiving and playing football on the backfield, and it just basically rolls rolls through until the new year. It's great. It's like you know, two basically solid months of good stuff. Yeah, this is right here. This is probably my second favorite time of the year. The first being that period of kind of late March through early June, where you go from the NCAA tournament to the Masters, the NFL Draft, Kentucky Derby, baseball starts up. That's kind of my prime time, but this is a close second here. I don't know. I, I flip those. I mean, that that stretch, it's a good run. It's a nice little stretch. You know, you've got, obviously, the Final Four and stuff like that. The Masters, I mean, I always say this. Jim Nance, man, talk about a guy living the dream. I mean, he goes from calling the NCAA Final Four championship game, then flies down to Augusta to do the Masters. I mean, that... You can't beat that kind of week. No, and it, look, if if I had the kind of the low golf voice that Jim Nance is, where it's like, you know, Spieth from the rough, beautiful. You know, I I can't do it just because I'm I'm a little louder than that. But it's just it's so soothing on on a nice Saturday and Sunday where things are getting nice. But it really is. I mean, is there anything better than like the Saturday afternoon at the Masters? No, nap? no. Move, moving day at the Masters is my favorite. You sit down on the couch around one. And you pretty much go in and out of consciousness for about yeah. you know three to four hours, and then you wake up for the last couple holes, and then you're you're pretty much ready to go for the night. It's it's yeah, it's perfect, unbelievable. But this is a football show. It is. So let's chat a little bit about football. Looking back at Week 15, uh, one of the only games, in fact, I think it was the only game that featured two teams with winning records. That was the Steelers Broncos tilt. Uh, Steelers ended up coming out on top with a 34 to 27 victory, putting the Broncos two games behind the Patriots for first place in the AFC. What'd you see in this game? Antonio Brown. He's good. I saw a lot he of Antonio good. Brown. And, you know, I went through that film this morning and what I kind of took a look at was, you know, he had, uh, what did he have? He had 16 receptions for 189 and two touches. I looked to see how Pittsburgh got him open, and this was something I was curious about earlier in the season. I never got around to writing it. But Matt Harmon, who's over at NFL.com now, does uh, something he calls reception perception, where he breaks down the routes that a different wide receiver runs, you know, based on pattern, post patterns, goal patterns, things like that. Yep. And when I first looked at it, he, for all of Antonio Brown's 2014 season, the most routes that he ran were go routes. It was something like... Uh, 19.5% of his routes, but second was slant routes. It's like 18.5. And Matt actually takes it a step further. He then looks at how successful they were on a given route. And 87.7% of the time that Antonio runs a slant route, it's successful. And it, it paid off in this game. I looked at each of his targets, and he was targeted seven times on slant routes, caught five passes for 60 yards. That's 12 yards a catch. 
I mean, he didn't catch the two TDs on those. The one was a seam route, and one, the other was a goal line fade. But that's how they get him open. He runs them so well, and Brown is great at, you know, when you talk about traits when we get into draft season, change of direction. You know, he can stop on a dime. He can cut on a dime. He can sell you on a vertical route and then work back on a curl route. He's a fun receiver to watch. And him and Roethlisberger, man, they are, if they're not the top wide receiver and quarterback tandem, at least at this point in the season, they're very close to the top. Mark, when you, when you talk about how Pittsburgh was able to get Brown open so often, how much of that has to do with the fact that you've got Martavis Bryant as well as Marcus Wheaton there, and really they prevent Denver from going out and necessarily doubling Brown on every play? I mean, that's a huge part of it. I mean, when, you've, when you can't roll coverage to one side of the field, you can't you know, dedicate help over the top, a bracketed guy with an inside-outside type of scheme where you've got one guy sort of trying to wall off an in-cut, especially that slant route that he runs. Um, it, it definitely gives an offense an advantage. I mean, a lot of these plays, Brown was just basically matched up in man coverage, usually with Chris Harris, and he was able to get open using things, like I said, like the change of direction where he's able to cut quickly to one side of the field. He, he ran a number of out routes very well as well. And the you know the change of the direction, the stopping and working back to the football after selling somebody on a vertical route. What about when you look at the fact? And look, there haven't been very many teams. And I'll have to pull up some data on the exact records here. But Roethlisberger threw 55 passes in this game. Pittsburgh only ran the ball 17 times. We've seen some similar things from New England earlier this year. But is this a sustainable approach when you start getting into playoff football when the weather potentially gets a little bit nastier? I think recent seasons have shown us that you can win this way. I mean, you know, we saw last year New England, obviously in the AFC Championship game, they relied on the run game a bit, but they've had success even throwing the ball in the elements. I think if you look at what Pittsburgh has to work with right now, the strength of this offense is the wide receiver core, the weapons that Roethlisberger has. I mean, they lost Le'Veon Bell. So this is, you know, gives them the best chance to move the ball down the field. Now, if they, you know, if they come into Foxborough, say, you know, for an AFC championship game, perhaps, and it's, you know, a blizzard type situation, they might have a little bit of trouble. But I think this is what gives them the best chance to win right now. What about the Denver offense? I mean, we've talked about Brock Osweiler, had a couple good games here, stepped back with uh, only a 21 of 44 performance, still threw for 300 yards, but more due to the sheer volume than anything else. What, what what's what's going on there? I mean, I still think what Osweiler does fits this Kubiak scheme better than Peyton Manning of 2015. I mean, one of the touchdowns, the the deep shot to Sanders, it was comes from play action where Osweiler began to play under center, not something Manning likes to do a lot. It, and same thing for one of the touchdowns, the second touchdown to Demarius Thomas. It was just play action, one-step smoke route, Osweiler was under center. I mean, when the quarterback's under center, the defense has to think a little bit more about the run game, and it just helps free up play action a little bit. They slowed down a little bit in the second half of this game. There were some protection problems. Osweiler made the mistake when he threw an interception. He he was pressured, tried to make a play, lost sight of the underneath coverage. I think, I mean, I don't want to use the phrase sort of transition season, but, you know, when they've made the change now from Manning to Osweiler, you know, I think he fits the scheme better, but there are still some bumps in the road. And this is a guy that's getting his first sustained action under center in the NFL. So there are going to be some mistakes. But, you know, they're still in playoff position. They've got some big games coming up where they need to narrow that down and lock that in. But I still think right now he gives them a better chance to move the ball down the field as an offense. So if you were sitting there as Gary Kubiak, you keep him in the uh, in the QB1 slot through uh, the rest of the season? 
I, I think so. I mean, I think, you know, not that he's a smoking hot hand, but I think he's shown you what he can do in that scheme to help Denver, you know, put points on the board, to help keep defenses a little bit, you know, kind of honest. He's not the most athletic quarterback, but he gives you more in terms of mobility than Peyton Manning does. You know, he had the touchdown run where he's just able to do enough. It's sort of functional athletic ability to keep a defense honest. So if I were Gary Kubiak, I'm not, thankfully, because it's a tough decision to make, but I would keep Osweiler in under center. Very good. Well, we're going to go to our first guest of the day here now. We are joined by one of my favorite people on Twitter, probably one of my favorite people out there in general, and that is Jeff Lloyd. You can actually follow him on Twitter at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. And Jeff, we've been wanting to have you on for a while. Glad we could finally make it happen. Oh, absolutely, guys. Uh, you know, cleared the docket for you Christmas week. Actually got a little shopping in this morning early, headed over to the kids' Christmas parties later. Outs- but, man, time to talk some ball. That is, beats it. that is perfect. Before we talk ball, Jeff, Mark informed me last week that you are a big Zach Brown Band fan. Absolutely. Uh, Mark, you know, he's got kids, too. We're up early, so, you know, usually <laughs> my uh, once the kids are off to school, first song of the day on Pandora, I usually post, and a lot of times it is Zach Brown, no doubt about it. Love it. Love it. I'm a huge fan myself. I actually got to see them uh, at Fenway Park earlier this summer. But let's let's talk a little bit of ball here. And specifically, let's talk New York Jets. Coming off uh, another good win over the weekend, now at 9-5, and five, facing a big test uh, coming against the Patriots down in New York this weekend. What have you seen from the Jets recently that you like? Honestly, when we went through the three-game losing streak, and you know, having Rex been here for the years, it was just always you saw it coming, and once it started going downhill, Rex was never a guy who could right the ship and get it, you know, going back up. Bowles, the way it worked out, I mean, you know, the the Thursday night loss against Buffalo was very, very disappointing. They didn't play very well, and Buffalo basically handed them a chance to win the game. You know, big play, game on the line. You know, you always go to your best player, Kellen Davis, on fourth and goal. So you saw that, and then you were like, oh, no, here we go. You start to think, uh-oh, same old Jets. You know, then you go down to Houston, put up a real clunker against a team quarterback by T.J. Yates, a guy who was out of football eight days pre- previously. So it was a little disheartening. What, though, you did see, though, is, is you saw Marshall. He was playing hurt and probably costing the team somewhat because he was on the field. He demands the ball. He wasn't 100%. So obviously that was costing him. He healed up. Obviously, um, Quincy Inunua, he, he not a guy many people think about, but he was gone for four games. Three of them were with, you know, during his suspension with the law, it was the losing streak. He came back. Um, Ken Brell Tompkins, a well-traveled guy, but now they're starting to use all these four guys together. They're all in the 6'1 to 6'3 range, big physical receivers, got long arms. With a guy like Fitz, he's not terribly accurate but he's a good spot thrower. When you got guys of that size, it makes it a lot easier for a guy like Fitz to succeed. Where you see a guy like Jeremy Curley, who was big in the old regime's plans, and is really an afterthought now of nothing more than punt returner. It's more of a size thing, a preference of what Gailey likes to put on the field, what Fitzpatrick's comfortable with. Obviously, Bilal Powell getting healthy, come back. The legs are really, really fresh. We're seeing a lot out of the backfield with him. Teams are ignoring him a little bit because you got to account for four wide receivers. So there's a lot of open players where Fitz is able to get these guys ball in space and able to succeed with that. Ivory's doing his thing. It's not always going to be the prettiest numbers, but it's more of just the fact of keeping, you know, the defense off the field, letting them rest, let them churn out some yards and deliver some punishment. Defensively things, you know, they've been going along as good as they were. Uh, you know, Revis obviously missed a little time. He's come back. Marcus Williams, 
he was a guy I actually pegged. Bowles knew zero about him when he got here. Uh, undrafted kid who came on towards the end of last year, started some games. Just knowing Bowles, Dayon Buchanan, where he came from in Arizona, one of my favorite guys. So I followed Arizona a lot. So when Bowles got here, I was kind of comfortable with him. I know he loves his D-backs. I know he loves to rotate him. If you're on the game day roster, you're going to get snaps and more than just special teams. And I kind of had Marcus Williams pegged as a guy who was going to, you know, Bowles was really, really going to like and really utilize six interceptions this season. He's outseeded the drafted players, D. Milner, Dexter McDougal. Those are guys who aren't getting run right now yep. because a guy like Marcus Williams will do his scheme, will tackle, he'll be in the right position. Right now, he's the second-best cornerback on this team. They don't start him. They start Crow, but he's the second-best cornerback on this team. Obviously, Calvin Pryor, tremendous growth from the safety position. Year one to year two, they simplified things for him, kept him more in the box or in one short zone as opposed to Rex took a guy with a big hitting reputation out of college and wanted to turn him in basically to a single high. It did no services for the team. It did none for Pryor. Things have come around this year and looked a lot better all around. Bowles has done a great job to this point. Nine and five, I couldn't ask for more. Jeff, one, uh, one thing I want to ask you about from uh, the other team down in New York, actually, is Odell Beckham over the weekend. And this is something seems like everyone's been talking about, and probably rightfully so, just because I think it shocked a lot of people to see exactly what happened there. I, I know a lot of people say, well, 20 years ago, that's just football, and that would have been every game. But what are your thoughts on it? I'm going to start off here. Look. Odell Beckham was in the wrong. Look, the spear was stupid. It was crazy. But it drives me nuts that this is referred to as the Odell Beckham incident. It takes two to tango. And each guy was giving it as good as he was getting it. Josh Norman, now the stories are coming out. Look, first off, if there's a baseball bat between the white lines of a football field, no. Whatever, it's your team tradition. Then you know what? You're warming up. Leave it by the goalpost. Leave it by the bench. You're walking into the Giants stretching a practice squad player, John with Odell Beckham with a baseball bat in her hand. Come on. I mean, intimidation in practices. I don't like it. I'm a huge fan of Carolina and what they've done this year. That kind of soured me a little bit. But this started from the first quarter. These two were going at it. I looked yesterday through Google Images. I had at least 15 or 16 pictures where the, either both were grabbing each other's face masks or one was grabbing the other's. There was no winners here. And honestly, if you just ran them both, which is what the referees should have done, yep. because they did not do enough. to Basically, they need to tell each coach, look, this is it. Next guy, somebody swings, touches, they're both out of here. Nobody did it. You could see it was just getting further and further along. You know, Norman, everybody wants to make it out. Like, he, you know, he was the, you know, the choir boy here. Give me a break. He was throwing punches. He did a belly-belly suplex. After, you know, Odell speared him, he stomped him right after that. It was a disgusting incident on both parts. They both should have been tossed. Norman, do I believe maybe he was throwing out some gay slurs before the game? He basically said him after the game in so many uncertain terms. So I do believe he went there with Odell. And look, Odell is a phenomenal player. What he's got to understand is he has talent that only 1% of the league has. There's only a handful of guys that can just basically dominate and God-given effortless ability to succeed. A guy like Josh Norman, here's a guy who's paid his dues over the years to get his game where it's at, whether it's extra film, extra weight work time, extra practice time, extra reps. Guys like Odell, look, I was an okay athlete. I know what it was like to watch the guys who had the God-given ability. It was aggravating. You were, they're a target already. <laughs> yep. 
They are because you, you just you know what you had to do to get here, and some guys got just lucky enough to be blessed in that scenario, which Odell is. Look, as far as the end zone dancing, don't use that as any reason to discredit Odell Beckham. Every wide receiver does it. Everyone dances. You, exactly, and you want to know what the NFL? They don't discourage it. They know what they're doing. They got a product to sell. And it was funny as I was going through all this on Twitter because my first tweet was. Norman and Beckham should be fined to the guilds. This was probably before the spear. The two of them played classless football. I mean, honestly, it looked like, you know, almost like two guys going at it in like the prison yard. They, they were just going for each other's blood. But Odell also, being the great athlete as he is, one guy actually sent me a message, one of the draft Twitter guys. He's actually in grad school right now. One of the guys in grad school with him had just come off two years, uh, you know, d- doing some work with the LSU football staff. And and mentioned and told him, look, Odell's got maturity issues. So here's a guy who walks into an NFL team, high draft pick, doesn't have a training camp, doesn't play any preseason games, shows up week five and just starts destroying every drop of competition put in front of him. Now, the catch, he's mounted on the wall. He's everywhere, mad and covered. You're sending him here. He's the most decorated guy in the game in two and a half months. That annoys people. That annoys guys who put seven years in. You know, they want notoriety, but here's a guy who walks in out of nowhere and boom, becomes a league darling. And now does that help a guy like Beckham who may have maturity issues? Nope. Only makes it 10 times worse. Odell needs to have a little bit more respect for the game, and he needs to understand and respect the fact that they're coming after him already. Do I realize he knows what he's caused? Yes, some of the drops he had, he was sliding on some big patterns. He knew these guys were coming for him. Whether it was from, from pregame, we don't know. Was it because of what was going on during the game? Very well, had that had something to do with it too. But he's got to he's got to play with a much more level head. He's a target already. Guys look to take him out. He's just got to go out there, respect the game a little bit more. And you want to know what? It wouldn't hurt you once now and then to pick up your opponent, slap somebody on the butt. I mean, appreciate that you're all out there doing what you love doing, getting paid a stinking filthy amount of money to do so. Just enjoy it. I mean, you can't get into it. And five foot eleven. 190 pounds soaking wet. Look, man, you ain't playing the Steve Smith role. Not everybody is Steve Smith. There's only one. You got to let it go sometimes. Jeff, I want to get into a little bit of the draft talk with you. As a former wide receiver, you've got you know a wealth of experience playing the wide receiver position, going up against defensive backs. We only got a couple minutes left here, but I wanted to get your take on who are some of the wide receivers people should be thinking about this draft season, and who are some of the defensive backs we should be looking for. Um, it, it's the, the 15, the 16 class. I said last year with the 15 class, it may be deeper, but it's not as top heavy and talented as the 14 class. So far, that's looking to hold true. Obviously, you got to kind of give it an incomplete lot of injuries with the 15 class. Two guys we didn't even see. Some other guys we barely saw, obviously, in Parker and obviously Philip Dorsett, who, in my opinion, was drafted way too high. It's a story for another day. This class, I, I think, is actually even going to fall a step below the 15 class. Uh, Treadwell out of Old Miss. Huge fan of everything looking so far. One thing I was concerned about, you know, obviously, was he going to come back from the injury? Started slow. Then we started to get some tape of dominance, uh, you know, later on in the season, you know, some seven for 140s and, you know, and, and mounting some touchdowns. Really confident him as a number one wide receiver. I, I don't see the top 10 talk that a lot of guys are putting out in mocks right now, which is okay. I mean, I'm not critiquing any mock right now. It's more of a kind of a, this team's biggest need currently is. So maybe that's how you're getting Treadwell higher. You know, you want to talk 10 to 20 range. I'm comfortable with an interesting one, a guy I really, really like, Corey Coleman. Actually, it was having hernia surgery this morning. 
I don't know if that's going to affect whether or not he's coming out early because I got to figure hernia surgery. Is he ready to work out? Uh, you know, come February at the combine, which he probably needs. People want to believe we're going to see these speed numbers that we we are from him. But a guy I really like, a guy you can get in space, maybe a better player than people thought Tavon Austin was when he was drafted. Uh, Tyler Boyd out of Pitt, really like his foot, uh, footwork in and out of patterns. One thing I noticed though is I haven't seen a lot, a lot of success in the deep passing game. Something that concerns me a little bit, maybe it's more the pit scheme. Maybe it's more they don't have confidence in the quarterback to throw it. So he's a guy I, I do look forward to. I think he's great, great talent. I think if you want to say the safest wide receiver prospect in this class, probably out of Oklahoma, Sterling Shepard, uh, the Baylor game, 15 out of 16 targets, receptions, ultra numbers, ultra productive, seems to do a little bit of everything well. Just He's a guy, if I'm going to take somewhere in the 30 to 40 range, I'm confident from day one he's going to give me some production. Is he going to give me enough where I can one day say, yes, this is my wide receiver one? Still yet to be determined, but I have no problem with him as a wide receiver too. Josh Doxson, another interesting guy, a little bit older. I see a solid number two wide receiver. You know, obviously very good at the catch point. So you know, maybe the fact that he isn't as fast as others, it's, he's going to make up for it with catch point. I mean, with high pointing and his verticality. Um, so very interested in him. Uh, Leonte Carew, Rutgers. Huge fan, obviously. Take the jersey aside from it. Huge fan. Um, he's going to run into some problems. Of If you weren't a huge fan after 14, we don't have much tape from him on 15. You have two solid games in the Michigan State game and the Indiana game. Played very well. Obviously had the off-field incident. Obviously doesn't look to be that big of a deal now. New Jersey's a tough place you know, through the legal system to get something squashed quick, and he did get it squished, squashed extremely quick. So that gives me very, very little concern as to that. I want to see some test numbers. Obviously, Mobile for him is huge. He's going to go down and face some of the uh, country's best cornerbacks. He's going to be able to show there. Um, as far as the quarterbacks, interesting class here. Um, obviously, Jalen Ramsey, I'm, I'm, I'm grading him as a free safety. I like the switchblade aspect of him. I like that he does so many things well. I don't necessarily want to put him in a situation where he's not going to be able to be around the ball you know, 60, 60% of the time. I want to maneuver him. I want to blitz him. I want him to play some single high. Uh, when If I have a running back that's beating me up to death that I can't cover, I'll put Jalen on him. Uh, you know, I do see why people are going to like him at cornerback with the length, with the size. You know, normally he is a track athlete, but that doesn't necessarily translate so well to the cornerback position and the flipping with the hips or whatever, which is why he's a free safety for me. Very Vernon good. Vernon Hargrave. Jeff, okay, I actually go got to get you out, actually, just because we got to move on. But I understand, guys. Really appreciate having you on. And, and certainly, if anyone is interested in following Jeff on Twitter, it's, he's one of the best follows out there, at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. And, Jeff, thanks again for coming on with us. Merry Christmas, and uh, we'll talk to you next year, all right? Thanks, buddy. Right back at you guys. Have a great one. All right, that's Jeff Lloyd there. And, Mark, I want to segue now into uh, our Harry Stamper All-Go Offensive Play of the Week here. Uh, we're going to head out west to the Seahawks, I believe. Is that right? That's right. This is this week's version of the Harry Stamper All-Go Offensive Play, uh, brought to you by Stamper Oil, helping fuel your holiday travel for over three decades. And, Chuck, we're looking at a play. It's the uh, first play of the fourth quarter from that Seahawks-Browns game. Um, a very interesting wheel route from uh, Tyler Lockett catches a 27-yard touchdown pass from Russell Wilson. Actually, friend of the show, Danny Kelly, has something up over on field goals right now looking at what Wilson does on this play. But what I wrote up, and it's on the site now, is how 
the Seahawks were able to beat the cover four matching concept that uh, the Browns use on this play. You know, cover four, it's sometimes called quarter coverages, where they have four defenders each covering a deep quarter of the field. Well, what the Browns do, they add a little twist with a little matching concept where they have the underneath defender from both sides of the field. On one side, it's a nickelback, and on the side of the play, it's a linebacker, Kirksey. They will read and react to what's called the number two receiver, the sort of inside receiver on the play. And on this snap, Kirksey's reading Tyler Lockett, the rookie wide receiver from Kansas State. And his responsibilities are if Lockett releases vertically off the snap is to kind of widen him, get him with, and kind of funnel him towards the sideline, hoping that he gets picked up by the playside cornerback. If Lockett's going to run a flat route, he's you know Kirksey's going to cover that. If Lockett runs an in pattern, Kirksey stays on that and then passes it off to the defenders inside and expects to see a matching uh, pattern come back um, from the other side of the field. But if Lockett's going to run a wheel route, this linebacker has to stay with that, stay with him to the flat, then stay with him as he cuts vertically. And that's a tough ask of any linebacker, especially on a shifty wide receiver like Lockett. And that's exactly what happens here. Snap comes, the other receiver to that side, Curse, runs a vertical route. Kirksey tries to fight through that first, and he does get to that inside hip of Lockett, but then he kind of tilts his head back to the football, tries to pick up the flow of the play, and that's when Lockett basically gets separation using his speed. Wilson does a great job, as you know Brian Kelly points out, um, climbing the pocket, shows some patience, delivers a nice throw. But it's just one more example, and we've talked about a lot of these, of how a team can structure a play to take advantage of a coverage of a matchup and get what they want to make a big play down the field. Mark, talk to me a little bit about what you've seen out of Lockett here. In particular, this is a guy who, coming into his rookie season this year, a lot of people had talked about him being an asset on special teams as a returner, but were uncertain about what they were able, what they were going to get out of him as a wide receiver. This year, turns out he's on pace for about 700 yards receiving, about seven touchdowns. What has made him, what has allowed him really to make the adjustment more seamlessly on offense than people have anticipated? I think part of it is if you watched his tape at Kansas State and if you really dove into it, I didn't do as much of it. Looking back, I wish I had done more. He was always open. He was one of these guys that in their scheme, they threw the ball a ton. He was always open, could run you know, a, you know, know, basically every route in the book against every coverage, change of direction. We talked about it earlier um, with Antonio Brown. Here we're seeing it again. He can work against man coverage. He can find areas in zone coverage. Comes from a football family. Um, so he's he's an experienced route runner, and I think he's one of these guys that, you know, maybe because of you know the offense that he played in, people might tend to sort of undervalue his production. But you know, if you took the time to dive into his film, you would see here's a guy that's getting open on almost every play. You know, these are the guys that you want because they can transition well. If you can get open week to week, snap to snap, you know, depending on who you're playing against, it doesn't matter. You're still open. That transitions well, and you know, from a trait perspective, again, quickness. Um, change of direction ability, things that make him a great punt returner, but the things that allow him to excel in the passing game. Yeah, he's been an exciting player to watch so far this season, so definitely going to keep tabs on him, especially you have a resurgent Seahawks team that a lot of people had questions about, myself included, earlier yep. this season that is now 9-5 and five in the playoffs officially and uh, definitely heading to, uh, I think, a good place as they start to head towards the playoffs. But we are joined now by our second guest of the day. It is Kyle Krabs from NDTScouting.com. He is the author of NDT Scouting's annual NFL Draft Prospectus. And, Kyle, thanks for coming on with us today. 
Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. How are we doing today? We are doing outstanding. And, Kyle, I know that you, you look at a ton of different things over the course of the season. And I guess just to start by picking your brain, talk to me about some of the things that have really caught your eye over the last couple of weeks here. Well, I, I always uh, get the appreciation for, for the bowl season just because uh, you, once you hit the, the beginning of November, you're really deep enough into any particular team's schedule and the teams that they're playing that you can conduct a full film evaluation on any seniors or underclassmen who have made the declaration to declare, and then you can use the bowl game as a cross-reference. And I always think it's important in these evaluations to, to really sit down and dig deep into film and then try and find an excuse at a, a later point to come back and at least watch another game and, and just confirm what you've seen. So uh, getting into bowl season, and uh, I know Western Kentucky just played today, or yesterday, I'm sorry, and uh, watching a quarterback like Brandon Dowdy uh, just confirmed a lot of the things that I had seen with him on film. And sometimes you see you see something on film that, that really stands out, and you know you have to dig into those questions okay, who's the guy across from him, uh, what, what's the caliber of the team that they're playing, and every once in a while you'll, you'll see something that makes you go back and rewrite a portion of your report. So just digging into uh, bowl season is a lot of fun for me because it's the process of formalizing reports and doing your cross-references and background checks. and So that, that's kind of where I am in my evaluation process right now. Kyle, since you just mentioned it, I want to ask you quickly about Brandon Doughty, the Western Kentucky quarterback. What did you see from him over the course of the season, and what did you see from him yesterday? Uh, I, I really underwhelmed when you compare the film product against the production that he puts uh, up in the stat sheet. Uh, that, that offense is wide open. Uh, they love to sling the ball around, and he, he just doesn't strike me as his his ball placement skills in particular. Uh, he, he has a serviceable NFL caliber arm, but just looking at where he places throws for receivers, so a lot of times it struck me as though receivers uh, had to adjust the balls unnecessarily, and that's something that I think makes him probably a, a day three prospect in my eyes. Uh, but I know a lot of people are searching for that uh, diamond in the rough quarterback prospect with the top of the draft being fairly thin, depending on your opinions on, of players like uh, Goff and Paxton Lynch and Connor Cook and so on and so forth. So I, I'm sure he'll generate some buzz, but to me, I think he, he's fairly safe as a day three prospect if you're looking for you know, somebody that you, that you can groom and, and not be asked to play anytime soon. Uh, in the NFL unless absolutely necessary by injuries or anything else of that nature. Another guy I wanted to get your thoughts on who we won't uh, see this bowl season, unfortunately, is UCLA linebacker Miles Jack. He's a name that if you log on to Twitter, you see the you know the timeline might be divided on. But you actually got done with your film eval and said he was the highest film grade you've given in the past three years. What do you like out of the UCLA linebacker? Oh, man, I... Uh... How did I know this topic of conversation? <laughs> yeah, you knew it was today? coming, right? Uh, Miles Jack, to me, is the perfect template for the 2015-2016 NFL linebacker. When I watch him play, I see somebody that might not be the longest or rangiest like Jalon Smith out of Notre Dame. He's, he's not six foot four. Now, he's listed at six foot one, but he's compact, he's powerful, he's explosive and twitchy. 
the, the versatility that he illustrates as a runner, as a ball carrier, when UCLA featured him uh, in the offensive backfield, just is a testament to the functional athleticism that he has. He's a very special football player. And I see him making plays and diagnosing, reading keys. I know that's, that's one of the questions that came up earlier this week on the Twitter sphere, so to say, is, you know, well, he's not doing what he's asked to do uh, at the next level. You know, people are concerned about his ability to play Mike Linebacker. But this is a player that I see who can be explosive attacking downhill and shoot gaps. I see him take on blocks with powerful hands and jolt blockers to be able to shed blocks. I see him working with sideline to sideline speed, and I see him shooting gaps when there's a crease present and attacking plays on the negative side of the line of scrimmage. And all of those things, when you add them up, and then you say, okay, this is somebody that UCLA at times has put on the boundary and cover receivers in the boundary. So, you know, you, you know you can trust him against linebackers. You know you can trust him to get depth, depth in a, a cover two. So everything that he's shown to me just had, blew me out of the water as far as uh, the, the functional skill set that he has, I think, is perfect for today's NFL. Another guy I want to ask you about, and I know Chuck's going to be excited to hear your thoughts, is that's Duke safety Jeremy Cash. He's another guy that we're hearing about as draft season approaches. You've taken a look at him, and what what are your thoughts on the safety? Definitely. Uh, uh, Cash is somebody who, uh, similar to the quarterback class, uh, is getting buzzed due to a, a lack of top-notch players at the top of the class uh, in the position. And I don't think Cash uh, can fill a role as a free safety at the next level. That's certainly not where his game lends itself. Uh, spends a lot of time in the uh, 5 to 15-yard area of the field. Uh, very, very effective as uh, a hook curl zone defender, uh, physical player. Uh, the one thing that I was disappointed with watching him was there's times when he will make the aggressive play that I just got done talking about, Miles Jack, and shoot, the, shoot a gap at the line of scrimmage. But he, he's a step slow in that area. And I, I think that is something that concerns me as far as, you know, he has to learn the plays he can and cannot make. I love the confidence and I love the aggressiveness to shoot gaps, but that that bend isn't quite there and that, that explosiveness isn't quite there where it needs to be. So that's just something he has to clean up, but I think he's going to be a really strong a box safety for a team, uh, can buzz down kind of like Dion Buchanan does for the Arizona Cardinals now, and be that nickel linebacker, so to say, and, and have some versatility. And I love the way that he is assertive at the line of scrimmage when they, they put him out in space in the slot and disrupt releases off the line of scrimmage. So I certainly think he has a role player, but he's not a one-size-fits-all player. Very good. Well, Kyle, appreciate you coming on. And uh, if anyone wants to read your work, is your website uh, the best place for them to go? Absolutely. You can uh, visit our site at ndtscouting.com. You can visit my Twitter page at ndtscouting. I recently just brought on uh, Joe Marino of draftbreakdown.com to be a team member at NDT Scouting, and we'll actually be headed down to the Senior Bowl this year, so we're really excited to to put a a lot of great stuff out there and uh, help everybody kind of act as though they were there by, by being their eyes and their ears and Know, just trying to kick draft season off with a bang. Outstanding. Well, Mark and I will be down there too, so we'll probably see you in a few weeks, all right? 
All right, that sounds great, guys. Thank you very much. All right, Kyle Krabs from NDT Scouting. You can follow him on Twitter as well, at NDT Scouting. And it's interesting, when he was talking about uh, Jeremy Cash there, I, I kind of had a similar feeling that I, and I think I was talking to you about this a couple days ago, where I said Cash is almost the kind of guy who you feel might have been better in the NFL 15 or 20 years ago in, in a slightly different league that wasn't quite as pass-happy as it is today. Yeah, I think that's right. And we kind of heard from Kyle what his skill set is tailored towards. I mean, you know, he's a guy that you might consider maybe, you know, seeing a lot of. And, you know, San Francisco did this this year with Jacquezi Tart, the uh, Jacquezi Tart, the rookie safety from Sanford, um, using him as a linebacker in their nickel scheme, bringing him down in the box to kind of, you know, take advantage of the abilities that a player has down near the line of scrimmage. That might be a way that a team gets cash on the field next season. Yep. And just want to quickly uh, do our glossary segment here. This is something that we do every week. Uh, this is all from published work on InsideThePylon.com. And, Mark, I want to focus on a special teams term here this week. And this is one that teams use uh, when something goes drastically, dreadfully wrong on field goals or extra points. Yeah, and I'm excited about this one because we can both talk to it from a different perspective. But this is what we're talking about today is the fire call. And it's something that, you know, like Chuck said, when a, a extra point or field goal, you get a bad snap, a bobbled snap by the holder. Holder's got to execute what's called the fire call. And that means he basically yells out fire, fire, fire to alert the win players on both sides of the line of scrimmage that it's time to forget about blocking and release into the secondary, you know, into the, you know, into the flat. Usually one guy goes to the corner, the other goes to the flat to try to look for the football because now instead of kicking it, we're throwing it, Chuck. Exactly. And so this is your two typical reasons why you see a fire call made is either because of a low snap that you can't turn anything you can't turn into anything or if you end up with a bobbled snap by the holder where he has to pull the ball and kind of do the Charlie Brown from uh, the kicker there pull the ball away and pretty much him and the kicker will just start yelling fire 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 as the cue for those wing players as you said generally heading out into the flats just so that you have a couple different options out there uh, it's not really what I would have referred to as a high percentage play would you say that's accurate <laughs> I'd say it's pretty accurate, though. I mean, I did my final college game. I was a holder. You know this. And I actually scored a two-point conversion on a fire call on a botched extra point. Did you really? I did. Now You and ran it or hit, passed I it? Get, what's that? You ran it or passed it? I ran it. I ducked in, got the ball inside the pylon. Hey, you like that? Well played. Like that? Yeah. Well, but I get hit so hard by, I think it was a linebacker from Trinity, that he blasted me basically almost through a chain-link fence that was, you know, circled around the field. And that's that why you became that's why you became a lawyer to sue him? No, that's why I became a lawyer because like, you know, I come on, I was a holder. <laughs> I, you know, I wasn't making plays in the passing game. But yeah, it was actually fun, you know, to see that um basically that hole in the chain lane fence, not only that night when I, you know, went down there with a couple of my buddies to toast the end of my football career, but you know, later that week, next week in class, say, Hey, you know, my head put a hole in that fence. <laughs> the, the Mark Schofield Memorial fence. We'll have to exactly. We'll have to get a plaque made up for it. But we do have our third and final guest of the day joining us now. It is Shane Alexander from A1GFootball.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at Alexander One Great. And Shane, thanks for coming on with us. Hey guys, thank you for having me on. This is a, a bucket list moment. <laughs> I'm good. Um, don't go. No, come on. Let, let's let's not go that. too far. Mark and I are not exactly the coolest people in the room, but let's let's talk a little bit about some of the stuff that you've been working on. I know you know with your website in particular. Tell us and our listeners a little bit about what you're doing there. Absolutely. Yeah. A couple months back, I started back up a1gfootball.com, and um, 
you know, the way I kind of described it was an evolving uh, portfolio for, um, you know, my football content. Um, some days I post stuff, some days I don't. You know, it's not a full-time thing for me yet, unfortunately. But uh, right now I'm just working on uh, stuff behind the scenes, assembling positional rankings, just gathering data for my upcoming big boards. Uh, I'm really taking a step forward in advanced metrics this year with my draft prep. Uh, and so I'm trying to assemble some historical data as well. Um, and I've been wanting to get out of mock draft, and just to be completely honest, the reason I haven't yet is because I don't know who to mock to the Cleveland Browns. And until I see it play out a little bit, I, I want to uh, just wait. But um, I'm doing a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, bowl prepping. I'll be going down to watch uh, Auburn and Memphis in the Birmingham Bowl next week live, uh, be attending the Senior Bowl. So really just getting into that full you know, mindset of, of the NFL draft. What else are you looking at in terms of, we've got the college football playoffs coming up in a couple weeks here. What are you looking for? Have you started any scouting work as far as that's concerned? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially, you know, the bigger games. I, I, I pride myself on, you know, following as many college football programs as I possibly can. But, you know, being from the South, I'm very entrenched in the SEC. So I kind of make my nest in the Power Five conferences. So I've done a lot of that, you know, especially the, the playoff games where I think, uh, outside of the Notre Dame Ohio State game, the most pros will be showcased, you know, in those games. So, um, yeah, you know, if any position, you know, in particular, but especially um, edge class, I'm really big on the, the defensive line. That's sort of the one I gravitate to the most. Uh, defensive side of the ball as a whole, uh, I really love this the defensive line and the linebacking uh, group that's going to be coming out this year. Well, Shade, first, before we get into this a little bit, if you keep up the good work you're doing, you're going to be doing this full-time soon enough. So I just want to get that out there. But I wanted to ask you about the two pl- playoff games, starting with that Clemson-Oklahoma game. Uh, what are your thoughts on that matchup, both from just an on-the-field, you know, what we're expecting in this matchup, as well as draft implications? Yeah, the game is going to be good on the field. It's the uh, Brent Venables Bowl, Clemson defensive coordinator, uh, playing against his old team, the Oklahoma Sooners, again. Um, the styles are really similar. I, I, I don't think the college football playoff committee lined them up that way on purpose, but maybe they did, and if they did, we're going to be in for a treat. Both defenses are very fast-paced. They play a, both play a spread defense with some good edge rushers up front. You're going to see some really good pros and some future pros. I think Oklahoma, as far as roster goes, first through third string, you know, they're as sound as any team in the country. Bob Stoops has done a really good job at – not only recruiting, but developing some of these guys. Um, they're the hottest team in the country. Of course, we all know Baker Mayfield. Uh, not going to be a draft guy this year, but he's someone that is slowly but surely putting him into that Johnny Manziel type of uh, football prospect where you kind of have to start taking him seriously. Uh, we know the guys with Clemson. I'll start with them first. Um, Shaq Lawson is a guy that I love as a 43 personnel guy that can play on the edge and slide inside as a nickel interior rusher. J. Ron Kirst is a safety prospect who fits that Cam Chancellor role. I know there's a lot of people that are still iffy on him because it's so hard to predict these strong safety guys in, in today's uh, NFL, but I think he's got a really good future ahead of him. Um, Deshaun Watson is going to be a guy who next year is probably the top quarterback in all of college football. They are loaded. Uh, Dabo Sweeney is a guy that, I don't think a lot of people took seriously to begin with because, A, he's a raw, raw guy, and he's a guy that you can sort of laugh at, and B, it's Clemson, but he can recruit and he can coach. Uh, he's got those guys you know, believing in one another. They develop players a lot like Bama and Ohio State does. Um, you look on the other side of the ball to Oklahoma, Oklahoma's got my second favorite receiver in the draft, and Sterling Shepard. Um, 
that guy is he's quicker than a hiccup. Uh, to quote Oklahoma legend uh, Jim Ross, um, I really like him as a as a first round wide receiver. They've got Samaje Piran, who's a 2017 guy, but he's a bowling ball man. He is a, he's someone that when he gets going, it's hard to stop. It's going to be a high paced uh, game, I think. I think you're going to see it scored in the 30s. Um, Deshaun Watson and, and Baker Mayfield are, are two guys that are going to put on a show. And if they're not on the national radar yet, even though you know Watson made the Heisman, I don't know if the average fan appreciates him yet. Um, I hope that you know these average fans that are going to tune in this game come away with a greater appreciation for both of these quarterbacks. I know those are the positions that get hyped on the most, but these are some special guys up front. Shane, flipping to the other game, I mean, I wonder if you're as excited as I am about this matchup between this Alabama run defense and some of the guys that Michigan State has up front, like Conklin and Jack Allen, the center. That should be another fun matchup to watch, don't you think? Absolutely. You know, they two played each other in 2011 in the Capital One Bowl, and it was when Alabama had kind of dropped uh, a few games that season, and it was when Michigan State was starting to ascend a little bit, and, and Bama just crushed them. And it was very apparent the um, contrast nature of the of the quality of the roster. Now it's a lot more even. Mark D'Antonio has constantly just recruited and developed these last five years. This is a rock-solid program. I call them Alabama North because they want to play in a phone booth. Um, they want to play a pro style on both sides of the football. They're very disciplined. And Connor Cook is the best quarterback Alabama's faced. And so that's going to give him – them and it, you know a really tough look um, in the secondary where they've struggled a little bit. Bama on the other side, they play similar to Michigan State. Just like I say, they've got pros everywhere on defense. They've got a pro-style offense. Jacob Coker has evolved into a really nice game manager. Um, and, you know, Derek Henry is the Heisman winner. So you're seeing two like-minded coaches, two like-minded systems. I think the only de- difference is depth of Alabama is almost like the 33rd NFL team. Um, that's where I give them the edge. I think that they'll be able to wear them down. The war of attrition is a real thing with Alabama. They beat you in the fourth quarter. I think that's what we'll see. But Connor Cook will take NFL throws. He will make NFL throws. He can make all the throws. And if he and Aaron Burnbridge connect a couple of these downfield shots, which is what you have to do against Bama, they can keep this game close late. I do think Bama wins uh, maybe 14-17. to 17. But I think it'll be a closer game throughout than, than many people think. Good stuff, Shane. We uh, we unfortunately have to call it a show for the day, but thanks again for coming on with us. And uh, certainly to you and anyone around you, have a, uh, a happy holiday season, and we'll talk to you soon, okay? Absolutely, guys. It's good at me anytime. It was a pleasure. Thank you all. All right, take care. Shane Alexander from A1GFootball.com. And, Mark, we are unfortunately out of time. Dude, that was a loaded show, my friend. I'm like out of breath. We're done. Get uh, you know, ice up the vocal cords, ice yep. up uh, pretty much anything that's sore right now. We'll be back at it next week. For everyone at Inside the Pylon, hope you and your families have a very happy holiday season. As always, follow us on Twitter at ITPylon. Like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Inside the Pylon. And make sure you visit InsideThePylon.com. We'll catch you next week.